Thank you all. Well, my first Sunday in two weeks to be back in the pulpit, and I'm going to talk about repentance. <laughs> it just fell that way, you know. I didn't, I hadn't been saving up a fire and brimstone one for you. Uh, probably, if, if you've been around me long enough, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fire and brimstone kind of guy. And so when we get to, to subjects like repentance, it's a, it's a subject I take very seriously, but also uh, carefully. I want to, I want to uh, approach it as, as the text approaches it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, maybe you've sat in sermons about repentance. And, and I was talking with someone this morning and, and, and said, you know, there's some preachers and all they want to talk about is all the bad stuff I do, you know. Uh, and I hope that that's not what this sermon is necessarily. Uh, but, but, but it will be about repentance. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, uh, will be our text. If you want to turn there, mark that spot with me. Uh, when I think about the idea of repentance, I think about the whole history of Christianity and, and the way that subject has, has been treated and understood by the church, not just as the Baptist church, but, but the church as a whole. Uh, in, in 18, see it was 18, 15, sorry, 15, 17, October 31st, 1517, uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses uh, on the church wall. And uh, when he did that, I mean, you, most of us are familiar a little bit with that, even though we're not Lutheran. Uh, he did that not because he wanted to start the Protestant Reformation, but he wanted to engage the church in, in a dialogue. He was a professor. He was an academic. And so he wanted to enter a, a debate regarding all the problems he had. And the other title for those 95 theses, maybe you know, maybe you don't, is, is, is the Disputation on the Power of Indulgences. And those of you with a Catholic background, you know what an indulgence is or was when you when you gave some money to the church and and not based on confession or, or repentance uh, but your sin was forgiven based on on the money that you gave more or less was is what or, or what is an indulgence or was an indulgence and so uh, he had lots of problems with that and and I think as Baptists we have problems with that as well uh, and and so one of the things that he argued in that, is, is that our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, Luther said, when he said repent, and this is the famous part of the quote, he willed that the whole life of believers, the whole life of believers should be repentance. The whole life. You know, in Baptist life, we are, we are quick to disavow anything Catholic. That's why we have the Lord's Supper once a quarter, because if we do it too many times, then we look like those Catholics, and they have Mass every Sunday, and we don't want to do that, right? <clears throat> but I think also, even though we would not say we affirm indulgences, I think people of all denominations, Baptists included, are kind of, can lean towards this sort of, even though we wouldn't pay for an indulgence, but this view of repentance that's sort of transactional. You know, like it's this one-time thing, and then we kind of move past it. Not necessarily the life type of repentance that Luther's talking about. And, and just for an example, when I was younger, I remember I thought about repentance like I'm saying sorry to God. You ever thought about it that way? Well, God, I just I messed up again. You know, you ever said a prayer like that? I, I just messed up, and you know, uh, if you forgive me for that, and you kind of go on your way, right? I did, I did my duty. I did my repentance. I'm forgiven. And then I move on. 
Well, and then what happens? I do the same thing again. Oh, God, well, it's, it's mad again, you know. Gosh, I yelled, I yelled at my kids again. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me of that so I can yeah, move on? And I think that's what Luther's talking about. It doesn't have to be indulgences. When, when Repentance is just this transaction that we make with God. Can you forgive me for that? Forgive me. Whether we're confessing that to a priest or whether we're doing it straight to God, just to get it out of the way, that's not repentance. That's, that's apologizing. And really, that's weak apologizing, isn't it? You know, there was a, a Southern Baptist, uh, a Southern Baptist former now seminary professor that has just come under fire in the media. And, and, and I know what's happened. He's, he's, he's made some enemies in his life and, and they've uncovered some dirt about him. And, and some things have, have come up in the media regarding some things that he said a long time ago in, in sermons that I, I certainly disagree with. Uh, and, and one regarded some, some advice that he gave to a woman as a pastor when he was in his 20s. To, to pray for the husband that was abusing her rather than to separate from him and protect herself. Another one involves a quote that he said about a, a teenage girl uh, referring to her as, as built and attractive. And, and as, as the media has uncovered these quotes, they've just sort of lynched him. And, and you can't really blame the media either. And you can't blame his enemies for doing that. But as he came under fire for all of these things... I think the thing that I have been most surprised about, and I think a lot of the people that, have, that really kind of, uh, probably one of the things that led up to him being fired was, was the way he apologized, or, or really didn't apologize all that much. He wrote a, a post that the seminary put on their website, and, and uh, he, he says, it's become apparent that my remarks have obviously been hurtful to women in several possible ways. That's pretty broad. And he says, I wish to apologize to every woman who has been wounded by anything I have said that was inappropriate or that lacked clarity. And that was it. And that's kind of like when I tell my kids, well, I'm sorry that what I said hurt your feelings. Implying that, well, it's really your problem. It's not really mine. I, maybe his is a little bit better than that, but... But it's not much better. It's like, well, I'm, I'm sorry if, if I wasn't more clear in, in what I intended to say. It's a weak apology. And it's certainly not repentance. And, and that's, that's the appropriate reaction when we sin. Not just, oops, I'm sorry. It's, it's repentance. Repentance is more than apologizing. And I think it's the key to this morning's text. I know it's been a while since we've been in 1 Samuel. So I will refresh you briefly where we're at. The Ark of the Covenant that represents and somewhat embodied God's presence to Israel has been returned to Israelite territory. Remember, it was captured by the Philistines. And it's entered again into Israelite territory. And rather than it bringing celebration and joy, it's brought some problems because the Israelites did not recognize the ark as God said they should. They didn't have the appropriate reverence for it. And I think we'll find out why in part of, of what we read today. I know that we often, we hear the word repentance and we think of it as, as unpleasant. We associate guilt and shame with it. But as Samuel talks to Israel about repentance, I mean, who else other than Samuel as we've read about him and in his life and, and in his experience with, with Eli the priest and his wicked sons, who better than Samuel to say, hey, I, I know what happens when, when you really repent, when we really get on the right page with God. 
he gets that because he's seen sin and, and all that the problems that it brings. And so he's going to talk to Israel about repentance in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Turn with me if you have it. The text will be on your screen beginning in verse 3. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their balls and the asterisks and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the, when the, when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines. And threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up before Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns of Ekron to Gath that, were the, that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. In repentance, we see how this God of Israel is different from the God of the Philistines. He's, he's not mostly interested, there, there is a degree of this, but he's not mostly interested in, in the ceremony, in and, and making people feel guilty and, and focusing on all the negative aspects as much as he is, is interested in his people turning to him, serving him only and exclusively, and then making them into the people that he wants them to be. That's the kind of repentance that Samuel's calling for. And I think we see in this passage that there's actually power in that. It's, it doesn't have to be something that we just walk around feeling sad about. It's something that, that leads us to something that is, is life-giving and good. That's the point of repentance, is to lead us to God. And so I want to talk about this morning what that kind of repentance that Samuel calls Israel and what we're called to as believers, what, kind of, what, what that involves. And the first thing that it involves, and I know you've heard this, it's almost cliche, we say it all the time, but repentance involves first is turning from sin. Turning away from sin. Not just apologizing for it, as I said, but, but turning, making your life oriented in such a way that, that you're less likely to sin tomorrow than you were today. That's, that's part of repentance. And I know that's not a newsflash for most of you. Most of you, if, if you've been a Christian for a little while, you've, you've, tur- you've tried at least to turn from sin. Probably all kinds of sins. And I think the way that we mess up 
in trying to do this is that we focus so much on the don'ts. You know, has anyone here ever, if you want to admit this and just be honest, anyone ever, ever uh, struggle with yo-yo dieting? You know, you'll go on a diet and you'll lose 10, 15 pounds, you know, and because you were not eating carbs or something. And then, well, you just get the shakes and you get tired and you need bread and you go eat a piece of bread. And you gain your 15 pounds back, you know, and you're ready to lose it again. So you cut out the carbs and you'll you'll lose your 10, 15 pounds and then you eat your bread again and it comes back. Uh, you know, I've been at Eastwood for about eight years, and I've probably lost the same 15 pounds eight times. It's just, that's just what we do, you know. And, and the reason that happens is because we're focusing so much on what not to do. Don't eat the bread. Don't eat the cake. Don't eat the donuts. Don't eat the ice cream. Now you're hungry, huh? And, and, and that becomes the focus. And, of course, I know you've heard this. This is a cliche. Any, any diet program... We'll say, well, it's, it's not a diet, it's a, it's a lifestyle, right? And, and the point of that saying is to say it's, it's not about the don'ts, it's about the do's. You know? and, and I think sometimes we, we yo-yo repent you know, in the same way that we yo-yo diet. We, we think about all the things that that means not to do. Not, not cussing and not worrying and not overeating and not lusting and not being violent and... And that becomes the focus. If I don't do all that stuff, then I'm right with God. And, and that's true enough, just in the sense that if you don't eat certain things, you'll lose weight. That's, that's true enough. But the point of repentance is not to focus on all the stuff that you don't get to do. The point of it is to focus on the life that that leads to with God. And unfortunately for Israel, they inherited this legacy of sin that is keeping them from God. And, and we, re- we read about it. In, in the book of Judges, it talks about how the Canaanites have these neighboring gods. And, and, and Israel starts to, to set them up as idols in certain places. And 1 Samuel hasn't talked about it yet. But, but now it, it introduces that. It, and Samuel calls it out in verse 3. And he tells the people, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourself of the foreign gods uh, and the asterisks. Commit yourself to the Lord and serve Him only. The, the foreign gods it's talking about is, is this idol. Um, you know, in East Texas, we call it Baal. But <laughs> really, if you pronounce it correctly, it's Baal. Uh, and so I try to go for a hybrid because both sound really weird. So I'll just say Baal this morning. But Baal and then, then Ashtoreth, also called Asherah in the book of Judges. And, and these were, were, were the chief god and the chief goddess of, of sort of the whole Canaanite deities. And, and devotion to, to, to Baal is the god of fertility and storm. And, and, and Ashtoreth was the god of love and fertility. And, and, and devotion to both of, that, to, of those divine beings was often expressed through these depraved sexual rituals at, at Canaanite shrines. And, and so you can see why it would not be a good thing for Israel to, to set up these idols and to allow that in, in their territory. But, but they did. And so as they prepare to... To, to turn to God exclusively. Verses 5 and 6 uh, record this sort of a, assembly that Samuel calls on behalf of the people. And, and they do several things. They pour up water and they confess and they fast. And, and all that stuff is important. I don't mean to downplay that part. But I want to be clear. That part is not the repentance part. That is their expression of commitment to God. It's their expression of their intention to repent. God. And it's not a bad thing. I think for them, it sort of marked that time when they did those things to, to turn to God. 
But I think the actual repentance comes before that. In, in verse 4, it says the Israelites put away the bells and the asterisks and served the Lord only. And I think the Bible is saying at that point that their repentance was measured by what they did. Not by what they expressed or not by what they said they intended to do. I would go to church sometimes and that was saying earlier, sometimes you've been in churches and maybe you've heard sermons about all the stuff you're not supposed to do. And, and maybe there was this big emotional response of people intending to repent. And that's not a bad thing. I, I mean, I've been in services that where the intention to repent was, was really expressed and really emotional and really overt and really outward. I told you before about the last church I served at, and there was a guy there that told me nearly every Sunday, regardless of what I was preaching on, Brother Matt, thanks for stepping on my toes. You know, I, I stepped on his toes every Sunday, whether I was trying to or not. And I never said this to him, but, but I, I, I kind of thought to myself, you ever thought about getting your toes out of the way? There, there comes a point where, you know, if, 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 if your toes keep getting stepped on, well... It's good that you're sensitive to that. Your heart's not hard. But at some point, if you're not moving them out of the way, if you're not doing something about it, are you repenting? If, if we just feel bad all the time about all the stuff that we're doing and we keep feeling bad about it, that's not repentance. And that's not even a sign of being all that spiritual necessarily. Maybe you're not like Pharaoh. God hadn't hardened your heart completely. But... But if you just keep feeling bad and you're not doing anything about it, you're not, you're not repenting. And I don't think there's any amount of, of guilt that I can allow. If, if I thought that putting just a whole bunch of guilt on you, I'd preach you 30 minutes and, and make you feel horrible about yourself. But I think you'd just feel bad and walk out the door and, and not change. And so I, I, don't, I don't preach that way. I don't think any amount of guilt or, 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 or crying at youth camp. I've been in those camp services, youth, and we cry and you feel bad and then the next week you see the kids that were crying and they're doing the same stuff they were crying about, right? That's not bad stuff to do if you feel convicted. But that's also not repentance. Dwelling on what you already know you aren't doing or are doing wrong is not repentance. The key from turning to sin isn't to dwell on what you need to turn from, but to focus on the one that you need to turn to. That's what Samuel says. Repentance involves turning from sin by turning to the Lord. And becoming aware of that sin, that's the first step. But I think that's also the easiest step. This past week, maybe you heard the news about uh, the massive hailstorm in the Dallas area. Well, we were, happened to be in the Dallas area during that hailstorm. And we were in a hotel room in, in the Irving area. And uh, I had one of the day, you know, one of those days where you sleep really hard because you spent the whole day entertaining kids. Well, the whole day and evening entertaining kids. And you're just tired and you've been doing vacation stuff. And so I was sleeping pretty good. And, and I remember vaguely he hearing something and hearing some sounds uh, when that storm hit. These baseball-sized pieces of hell hitting the window and, and the roof of our hotel. And, and Emily wakes up and, and she cries out and she says, it's, it's storming. And, and no, I knew that was a possibility, but I wanted her to go back to sleep. So I attempted to, to soothe her with the most believable lie I could come up with in my half-awake half and half-asleep state. And I said, no, it's, it's not storm, baby. That's, that's just the garbage truck. Knowing that a garbage truck doesn't produce lightning, 
thunder necessarily, and she did too. But I was happy to let her believe that life. It meant that I didn't have to get up and do anything. Turning to God requires that we actually do something. We actually move into something. When Israel committed to put away the foreign gods and the idols, and they committed to trust God, God gave them an opportunity, and it came really fast. In the midst of sort of this recommittal ceremony that Samuel's having, in the midst of that, as they're expressing their intention to, to repent to God, right in the middle of that, they're, they're attacked by the Philistines. And in verse 7, they, it tells us that they responded the way Israel usually responded to Philistines. They were afraid. They feared them. And that's, that's part of, in, in the Bible, every time the Philistines are there, that Israel's scared. And maybe you remember the story of David and Goliath. It's most famously embodied in that instance. That they were all afraid. But they didn't turn to Baal this time. They didn't turn to Ashtoreth. They turned to God. They turned to the Lord that they most recently vowed to be exclusive to. And they said to Samuel in verse 8, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that He may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. The second part of verse 9, he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. You know, really, it doesn't sound like they did a whole lot, does it? They turned to the Lord, they, they trusted the Lord, they relied on the Lord. But to overcome the Philistines, they didn't really do a whole lot. But when they turned from, from, from the other gods they were worshiping, and, and they trusted him only, it, it kept them... From, from trusting in those things that probably for Israel were a lot easier to trust in. It meant that they weren't going to trust in those idols that they could see and that they could touch. And that provided them a, a quick fix that made them feel good. Instead they were trusting in the Lord who really they couldn't see. But they had known had done great things in the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they, it meant that they were trusting God to be the same God to them that He was to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And when we turn from sin and toward God, we allow Him to do what only He can do. Even if that means that we're not trusting in those things that might be idols to us, that we can taste and that we can touch and that we can feel. Speaking of taste, maybe in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, you've noticed when you go to restaurants, especially fast food restaurants, Nutritional information is, is a lot more available. Have you, you noticed that? Uh, I think it was in 2000, uh, 2012, there was a survey in the New York Times. And, and it said, and I don't know how true this is population-wide across the United States, but, but 75% of the people that participated in this survey said that they favored more transparency with nutritional information at restaurants and, and caloric content and, and things like that. And so in November in 2014, the FDA released its updated requirements for nutrition labeling. Uh, and it included, for, for the first time, chain fast food types of restaurants, like McDonald's and Burger King and Pizza Hut. And, and would you even believe it includes movie theaters? I found that kind of interesting. When's the last time you went to a movie... And you were going to order one of those huge tubs of popcorn, you know, that puts all the, the, we call it butter, but it's just oil, you know, oil and fat. And you're going to order one of those big tubs of popcorn and you thought, you know, that's a lot of calories. I don't think I'm going to order that. That's never happened for me. I've ordered it, to be clear, but yeah, I've, I've never decided not to because of that. 
And is it because you don't believe? I really don't believe that tub of popcorn is 2,000 calories or whatever. No, I believe it. I just didn't care. What I knew didn't change my behavior because, because that's what I wanted. For most of you, there's nothing that I could tell you new about God. There, there's no Bible study that you could go to. There's no passage in the Bible that I could point you to that would just automatically re result in, hey, I'm, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from what I'm not doing or what I am doing, and I'm going to turn towards God. There's no amount of knowledge I could give you that would just automatically result in that. It's something that you have to decide to do when you're ready to turn from, from whatever those things that, you, that are a lot easier sometimes to turn to than God, to turn toward God. It's, it's, it's a decision you have to make. Repentance involves turning from sin and turning towards God. And you think, okay, well, where's the good part? You've been just making me feel bad most of this sermon. Well, the good part is when we do that, when we are, are able to do that, when we strive to do that, and, and all that we can, and we turn towards God and His grace, God, God is, is actually involved in our lives. God is, is near to us. He's close to us. He helps us in ways that, that, that He can't, I think, otherwise. I read a story by, by an author. I haven't read this author in a long time, but this story has stuck out to me by a guy named Joshua Harris. And he wrote the story... Uh, about a girl he knew in college. And she was a really smart girl. She was really bright. Uh, she, she was very smart. In fact, she, she learned Spanish as a second language and just picked it up uh, wonderfully. But she was also kind of ditzy on the other hand. And, and in a conversation that they were having, she, she confessed to, until recently, not knowing that the stars were really far away. And these, you know, these, there were huge bodies out in space. And, and he thought she was joking, and he said, well, what did you think before you learned that in, in science class? And she said, you know, I just thought they were kind of small dots up above our heads. And he said, I was so surprised. I mean, she wasn't in grade school. This wasn't like a kindergartner. This, this was a girl in college. And he said, I was so surprised that she, she didn't know this, that I wondered, well, have you just been trying not to know this? You've been living with your head? Under a rock, how do you go so long believing something that is so false? You know, the obvious question for us when we refuse to turn from sin and turn toward God is, is do we really believe that it makes a difference? And if we continually live in that state, maybe not in our minds, what are we demonstrating with our, ourselves and our bodies and our actions and our thoughts? When we live that way, do we, we believe that turning toward God really makes a difference? Or would we rather just keep doing what we're doing and not be bothered with it? It's amazing. God leaves no doubt in the minds of Israel that their victory from the Philistines is directly due to his involvement because of their repentance. Because while Samuel's still performing this sacrifice that indicates their, their renewed faithfulness, we're told the Philistines are, are attacking them. And before Israel could even retaliate, verse 10 says, The Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Verse 10, and, and the NRSV is a different translation, and it translates it a little more literally. And it says, The Lord thundered with a mighty voice. Against the Philistines. And it's capturing this idea that, that the voice of the Lord in this instance was, was thunder. 
And that is so important because, because the God of the Philistines, that's, that was his voice and her voice. That's, that's who they were. They was the God of the storm. Baal was the God of the storm. That should have been him speaking, not Israel's God. But Baal is silent. And their God is involved and he's present and he's active. And so we read in verse 13, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And that becomes his legacy to Israel. That, that the hand against these enemies, that, that they turn to God to help them fight. God is against them all the days of Samuel. Samuel was by no means a perfect leader or, or a perfect prophet or a perfect judge in all the roles that he fulfilled. But he was someone that understood what happens when people fall into sin. And the way it makes them turn away from God, whether they're trying to do that or not. And so when, when he leads the people to turn toward God, for him, that wasn't this sort of one-and-done incident. It was a lifestyle thing. As, as both a, a prophet, uh, as a judge, uh, and a priest, he would perform sacrifices, but then he'd also engage in battle. He would, he would anoint leaders, but then he would also confront leaders about their sin. He was involved in both the, the spiritual, repentant side of Israel, but also the practical side where that worked itself out. And he models for us... The blessing of God's involvement when repentance is a lifestyle. I realize for you that the word repentance may not be a happy word. And it may, may dredge up memories of, of, of a preacher yelling at you and making you feel bad. Or, or maybe a stern, legalistic, religious teacher. Or, or uh, I don't know, maybe even a pastor or Sunday school teacher that reminds you of, of a Pharisee. Instead of the Jesus that we say we believe in. But you know, even Jesus called people to repentance. Not in the way that you might think, but, but he did. You remember, remember the woman at the well? He says, he says I know that you have all, all these people that you say are your husbands. And, and she's living this adulterous lifestyle. But he says, he says, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask for living water. You remember when he calls his disciples? He calls Matthew the, the worst disciple probably of all of them. He was a tax collector, which was just a horrible occupation to have. He's at his tax collector booth. And he goes to his booth and he says, he says, come and follow me. He doesn't say quit being a tax collector. He says, come and follow me. He told the crowds, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Not because, not because he's not calling them to repentance, but because his call to repentance was a call to himself. It was away from sin, yes. Go and sin no more, remember? But it's, it's a call to himself. The way to get away from that sin is to turn towards him. And traditionally, we've handled repentance kind of like an acute visit to the doctor. You know, you go to the doctor, you, you break your arm, you get it fixed, and you move on. And that's the way we handle repentance sometimes. God, I'm sorry, just forgive me, and, and you move on. Because we don't like feeling guilty. We don't like thinking about our sin. We don't like all those connotations that, that are involved in that. But until we actually see repentance as, as a lifestyle thing that actually leads us to life, it'll only be a, a transaction to us. Now, if I asked you to think about the last time you felt bad, you probably wouldn't take you two seconds. The last time you felt guilty over doing something or not doing something, you, you're probably thinking about it right now. And sometimes God can, can use that to lead us to life. So as we come to the end of this time, I, I encourage you to think about that for a moment. Not feel horrible, not weep over, but just 
When was the last time you felt burdened over sin? Sometimes it's easier to see it in hindsight than it is to see now. Hold on to that for, for just a moment. I don't think that God ever intended for us to feel that. But I do think that God can use it to point us towards Him. Would you let Him do that this morning? Now, we do come and confess that, that by nature we, we are sinful. That's, that's who we are. That's who we've, what we've fallen into. But God, at the same time, we claim the nature that you originally placed in us as, as people that are made in your image. And God, we, we want you to restore that to us and in our hearts. And God, yes, we ask for forgiveness for those things that we've done and those things that we've left undone. And God, would, would you not only forgive us, but, but point us towards a lifestyle that is aimed pleasing you and living for you more than it is those things that are easier to do sometimes. Lead us in the way of life everlasting, in the way of the life that you give us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.